Coming up on Golf Today, John Rahm meets the media at Olympia Fields, chasing his second BMW title and first FedEx Cup crown. Can the Masters champ fashion a storybook finish to a storybook season? 1978 was a storybook year for our pal John Cook. He won the U.S. Amateur in a romp, and now he's on the call for this year's edition. Cookie joins us for a past champ chat. And as Maui recovers from devastating wildfires, Colin Morikawa is playing for a cause greater than himself. He is giving back and will tell you how you can help on Golf Today. Golf Today. Golf Today on a Tuesday. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch, Golf Week Magazine, musical chairs on the PGA Tour. 50 this week, 30 next week. Nobody wants to be left without a chair, Eamon Lynch. No, but the guys who've actually made it as far as the BMW Championship this week, Damon, have already secured a tremendous amount for next year. They're into all of those signature events on mm. the PGA Tour, the $20 million purses, $4 million first prizes. And there's a lot at stake this week as well. The guy who finishes last next week, at Eastlake in the Tour Championship, still gets a bonus of $500,000. The guy who just misses by one at the end of this week, who finishes 31st in the standings, it's a quarter of a million. That's a big difference. That is a big difference, and there's always something to play for. One of my favorite phrases in sports, greatness is greedy. These guys want to keep on winning and keep on earning and keep on being the best at their craft. Well, one guy who's showing a pretty good demonstration this season of what it takes to be greedy on the PGA Tour is this guy, John Ram. He's top of the season-long FedEx Cup points race with just two weeks to go. The highlight of his year came back in April. He won the Masters for a second major title. Played 30 holes in that Sunday and turned a four-stroke deficit to Brooks Kepka into a four-stroke victory. And that returned him to number one in the world ranking at the time. And it's been a heck of a season for John Ram. 18 starts, four victories, two runner-up finishes, 10 top 10 finishes. Just twice he did not play the weekend. One of those, of course, came at the Players' Championship when he withdrew on Friday with illness. Our focus on the playoffs is flashback to 2020 BMW Championship at Olympia Field. Do you remember this? John Rahm drained a 66-foot birdie putt on the first playoff hole to beat Dustin Johnson. It just kept trickling and rolling and rolling and rolling. I said he's not going to make it. That had almost as much hang time on the green as his drives do. And then, of course, the seismic celebration. Time now for Rom to meet the press. It's always great to come back to to already play the tournament and, and did so successfully, right? Um, it's it's obviously a very different week. We don't have COVID rules. Uh, everybody's here present. We don't have those Zoom media calls. Uh, you know, personally, my life has changed quite a bit as well, right? Kelly was pregnant with Kepa early on, early stages of the pregnancy when we came, and, you know, we're a little bigger family now with, with two young ones. So uh, it's good that, good to see that after a great win, um, you know, things have improved so much and both on and off the golf course for me. Four wins on the season, and as I mentioned, FedEx Cup leader, just talk a little bit about this stretch here just with these last two tournaments of the year. Well point coming to the playoffs is to give yourself the best chance to get to Eastlake on the number one spot so uh, I've done a pretty good job so far hopefully this week I can I can have a good performance like I did last time and and uh, and earn it uh, and clinch it and, and give myself the best shot for for the win um, 
it's been a great year so far, so hopefully I can end it off the way I started it. From the outside looking in, like the, the, the way things are structured now with getting into the designated events next year and whatnot, that it's the new structure has sort of shined a brighter light on how competitive it is out there and how hard it is to be at the top of the PGA Tour. I was just wondering if it feels like that being on the inside. I think from the outside without real experience and what we experience as players, you're never really going to get the full scoop on how difficult it really is to be out here. Uh, and the more we can do to show the elite level of some players is, is pretty special. I'm pretty sure you can go down the stats of 51st to 55th in the FedEx Cup and, and consider they've had a pretty darn good year. Right? They're incredible golfers, yet they can't make it to the end of the playoffs. Like it happens in many other sports, but you know, we carry it, we've done all year around. So um, I'm glad it's, it's showing how difficult it truly is, because it is. Uh, but I can tell you that it probably is more difficult and more challenging and more competitive that, than what you can probably see or imagine in, in all these players' heads, just because it truly is, you know. It's an elite, elite number of players that can call themselves PGA Tour players and, you know, the elite of that elite will be making it to this week and even more selective group to next week, right? And even more selective to Ryder Cup. So, you know, it's uh, even within the greats, there's some little divisions of, of great players. So, yeah, it's extremely competitive. The DP World Tour came out with its schedule for next year. Did you get a chance to look at that at all? No. Uh, well, then, in general, uh, <laughs> this is <laughs> we haven't even we, you know up past East Lake. I haven't really thought about anything yeah. right now. So, um, in general, when you look at as as probably the preeminent guy who will bounce back between both tours, how many events for you is too many events on like the annual calendar year? It's hard to say. It's hard to say. Uh, I think it all depends on the on the scheduling and how those events are spaced out. Um, my fall the last few years has looked pretty much the same. I've, you know, go to Wentworth, Spanish Open, Dubai. So I, I wouldn't be able to tell you an exact number. It really depends on the year. Uh, I've been comfortable the last few years playing around 22, 23 events, but I can tell you I'm one, one of those players that wishes we could have an actual off-season, right? Uh, you know, and with the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour coming together closer, I'm hoping I get to a point where maybe November, December, October, November, December, I, there's no events for me to play. Just I can be home and, and be dad and, and earn an off-season like basically almost every other athlete in this country can do. John Ram gets his first round underway Thursday at 1.38 p.m. Eastern time alongside the man who's number one in the world and number two in the FedEx Cup standings, Scotty Scheffler. Sticking with the playoffs, Eric Cole has made his way to the BMW Championship at 42 in the FedEx Cup standings. Hashtag Jackie Robinson. His game garnered a lot of attention back in February thanks to his runner-up finish at the Honda Classic. You might recall ultimately lost in that playoff to Chris Kirk, but still earned 300 very valuable FedEx Cup points. It's been a strong season really on the whole for young Eric Cole. 31 starts, that runner-up finish to Chris Kirk, three top 10s, nine top 25s, 10 missed cuts this season. And here are the players ranked between 41st and 50th in the FedEx Cup, who'll be looking for a big push this week at Olympia Fields. And as Damon noted, they're at number 42. 
is Eric Colin. We're pleased to be joined now by Eric Colin. Eric, when it comes to the rookie class of this season, you're the last man standing. Is that liberating in a way as you head into these last couple of weeks to have that pressure taken off you? You've had a successful season one way or the other. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. It's more just, uh, you know, I'm just happy to be here. And, uh, you know, anyone that... Uh, that played this year, you know, this is kind of where you want to be at this time of year. And uh, as a rookie, it's it's definitely a hard spot to be. So I'm, I'm happy to be here in Chicago this week. Eric, what were the days like after that Honda Classic? Did you suddenly discover 12 new cousins, 15 new best friends? How much was your phone ringing? Because that was a very big talking point this season. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, got a little bit of attention for it, but that was cool. That's something that comes with good golf. And uh, I think it being my hometown tournament living down in South Florida now uh, definitely made it uh, a little more special but uh, like I said it's it's one of those things that comes with good golf and that's what I'm trying to do so I welcome it that good golf moved you inside the the top 70 to make the playoffs back at the Honda Eric you haven't been anywhere close to losing a spot in the top 70 since was it ever on your mind at all was there any awareness of where these cutoffs were coming or were you just figuring what you did on a day-to-day -day basis was going to take care of it uh, I think it's kind of both of those things like it's it's on my mind a little bit like in the back of my mind but uh, you know if you focus on all the little stuff and do all the little things right to prepare for each tournament then it kind of takes care of itself so I mean I'm definitely watching it all year and uh, you know paying attention to it when maybe it's not a tournament day or something and then uh, once the tournament rolls around I'm trying to uh, play my best and uh, do everything I can to have a good week. Eric, your resume is quite diverse. Mini tour legend, Monday, uh, Monday qualifying, back injuries, you've caddied. In what ways have those experiences made you tougher and prepared for weeks like this one? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the road to get here was definitely a little longer than I would have, uh, you know, if I was writing a script, I wouldn't have uh, had it laid out quite like that. But, uh, you know, it, it made me appreciate being here and, you know, playing any event on the PGA Tour. And uh, I think it's, you know, all that stuff, um, when it happened, the back injury and stuff, it kind of made it to where, you know, like I'm trying to play good golf and I'm trying to have a career on the PGA Tour. But if it didn't work out, then it wasn't going to be the end of the world. You know, my life was still going to be okay. And uh, I think that almost takes a little pressure off of uh, your golf and kind of lets you play a little freer to know that, you know, golf is well it's important and i'm trying really hard it's not uh the most important thing sometimes eric you're extremely humble you've won some 60 odd tournaments north of 55 on the mini tours my kids keep their trophies on the windowsill so all the neighbors can keep them where do you <laughs> keep all of those trophies that you've won uh well the one thing about playing mini tour golf is there's not really a lot of trophies, you know, uh, they're, they're more of uh, smaller events and uh, you're just kind of, it's almost like uh, gambling a little bit uh, where you're just going out there with 50 guys or something like that and playing uh, to see who's the best that day or that two days. So uh, there's not a ton of trophies involved, but I am very proud of uh, those mini tour wins. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of good players out there that, Maybe people uh, at home might not know, but uh, the, the depth in golf is pretty crazy, and uh, it takes uh, it took me a long road to get here. So, you mentioned the long road to get here, Eric. That it was a bumpy road when you did first get to the tour as well. You missed your first four cuts 
what changed for you? Was it just something as simple as getting comfortable out there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that probably played a role. I also had a little bit of a weird start to the year. I had COVID in Napa, and then I had my club stolen in Vegas. So uh, it wasn't the – I also missed some of those cuts by one, I think. So I wasn't playing terribly, and I uh, had a few odd things happen. So, you know, I didn't go into a full panic or anything. I kind of just – tried to stay the course and keep doing what I was doing and hopefully the uh, the you know coin would flip to the other side and maybe I'd get some some good breaks and it seemed to work out that way. Eric you played a lot of golf growing up at Bay Hill during your teenage years in particular some describe it as one of the two or three toughest golf courses that you play on the PJ Tour. How much did that incubation period of playing Bay Hill which you can tip out to 7000 high rough slick greens kind of help you as you chase the dream. For sure, yeah. Um, Bay Hill is an unbelievably great course, but it's also very demanding tee to green. So, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't like going around, uh, you know, like a small course where you could shoot way under par. So anything under par at Bay Hill is always a great score. And uh, I think it definitely uh, made me better, you know, playing, uh, playing out there from a young age and kind of seeing, you know, what a championship level golf course is like. You probably need a PhD in math, Eric, to figure out what the various permutations are that are in play this week for all of the guys in the field. Have you given any thought or done any research on what it's going to take for you to make that top 30 for Eastlake next week? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked at it too closely. I think my caddy probably pays more attention to it than I do. Um, but I know that it's going to be definitely something in the top 10, potentially something in the top 5 is what I've heard. So... Uh, you know, that's a that's an incredible week uh, when the field is as strong as it is here. So, um, you know, well, that's uh, what it's going to take. I'm just going to focus on preparing the best I can and being ready to go Thursday morning to uh, hit that first tee shot. Eric, it can be a wow factor for a rookie. You're with the best players in the world in the second playoff event. How much do you feel like you belong? You can walk out of that putting green and know that you're one of the best players in the world. Get that respect. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it feels good for the most part. Um, you know, I've had people ask me if I'm surprised to be here or not. And uh, for me, it's more just I'm excited and I'm very happy to be here. Uh, starting the year as a rookie, it's really hard to get here. And uh, it's somewhere where now that I am here, I obviously want to play as good as I can and uh, see if I can make it to next week and have a good week this week. And uh yeah, so it's mostly just excitement and uh, happy to be in the field this week. We've seen you collect a lot of first-place checks on the mini-tours, Eric, but officially your PGA Tour winnings were $28,000 before you joined this season. You've added a little over $3 million to that since. Have you bought something nice with the proceeds? I uh, haven't, haven't bought anything yet, um, but uh, we're... Uh, we're, I got my eyes on a few things, so, uh, but I'm not a real big spender, so uh, I'm not sure. My, my fiance's a financial advisor, so I might have to run it through for her first. Take your time, buddy. Too many stories of athletes spending a little too <laughs> liberally through the years. Congrats on all your accomplishments, Eric. Have a great week. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. We're coming up after the break. We're going to back out to Olympia Fields. Lucas Glover, he's the hottest hand on tour right now. Todd Lewis has a report on what was the turning point and what is turning into a remarkable season. Todd Lewis joins us now from the BMW Championship. Hey, T. Lou. 
Hi there, Damon. Yes, Lucas Glover has definitely stirred up the FedEx Cup playoffs. He's stirred up the U.S. Ryder Cup choices that Zach Johnson will have to make. And his story has been talked about. And just to remind you, in the spring, in May, actually, he was desperate, grasping at straws because he was not putting well. He had the yips. He's had them for a decade. He called the manufacturer, the putting manufacturer that Adam Scott uses and said, can you build me a broom style putter just like Adam uses with the same specs? He took that putter, watched YouTube video of Adam Scott and Scott McCarran in his garage in South Florida and taught himself how to use that broom putter. Now, he put it into competition for the very first time at the Memorial. Did not play well at the Memorial, missed the cut. But what was very interesting and maybe a pivotal moment in his career came the Monday after Memorial. It was U.S. Open qualifying. Now, it's a 36-hole qualifier, and in the opening round, Lucas shot a 63 and was very comfortable with his putting. Now, in the afternoon, the second round did not play as well, ended up in a playoff, had this short putt here to continue the playoff, and he missed it, missed that short one. And you may think after missing that one that, oh, no, the yips are resurfacing. But after missing that putt, Lucas had a very positive attitude. Well, walking back to the car after missing that putt, it was uh, uh, my, my dad was there and, and Tommy was with us, with me, obviously. And um, Tom just looked at me and goes, I don't I don't really care that you missed that putt. This is a process with this new putter and there's going to be some bumps. But uh, he said, I can't tell you how much better you look and how much more confident you look. Um, and I needed to hear that at that moment, even though I was kind of dejected and, um, you know, went on to, to Canada and had, had my best week in a few months. Just uh, I, I believe it was that same week. So um, and, and still, I'm, I mean, I missed one yesterday on 16, but it's not that nervy, yippy stroke. It's just a bad stroke, it's just like missing the green with a seven iron. It's just physical. It happens. Um, so just knowing that. It's it's freer. That uh, those comments coming from Memphis after he won uh, the FedEx St. Jude Invitational there. And if you think about what he's talking about, missing that short putt. I mean, he could have been rattled. He could he could have said all the work that I put in over the last month or so with this new putter. It is really just not worth it. I still have the yips, but he emotionally and mentally stayed strong. It says a lot to his determination and his resilience. And not only did he play well in Canada that following week, but also just a few weeks later in Detroit at the Rocket Mortgage, he was fifth in strokes game putting for the field. So he continued to play well. He's built momentum, and obviously he is the hottest player on the planet right now. Lucas is on the putting green right now, continuing to master that new stroke that he started in May. I spoke with him just a few moments ago, and he said he got here from Memphis uh, Monday morning. And luckily for him, he's saying it was luckily, lucky for him because it rained all day. He stayed in bed. He barely moved. He said he was relaxing, regenerating himself and getting ready for what will be yet another big week as he not only tries to win the FedEx Cup, but to impress Zach Johnson. And I can tell you guys, Lucas Glover is definitely, definitely on Zach Johnson's radar as a captain's pick, possibly, which will be made after the Tour Championship. As he should be. Todd Blues reporting on Lucas Glover, who is back to work today. He's going to join us on tomorrow's Golf Today. When you think about Lucas Glover, Eamon, what stands out to you right now? The rebirth of this player. Not everyone can come back from the yips. He embraced the issue, 
and clearly is on the way to conquering them. Man, I wish there was a strokes gained fortitude metric mm. out there. And you see what Lucas Glover has done over just even over the last few months. We saw that short miss in the playoff that he talked about and his process of working through that. But we ran video on the show yesterday which showed him yip a putt from probably 12, 14 inches mm. where the ball barely caught the heel of the putter. He flinched that much. You see where he's gone now. I mean, he would potentially be the greatest winner in the history of the FedEx Cup playoffs if he can get it done over the next couple of weeks, given where he has been and where he has been recently. Yeah. He's still on the upward trajectory out of what we've seen. And you know, I, I just think it's a great story that fairy tales still happen in this game. We so many of the conversations we have about this game these days are dollar figures attached to it. This is a story of, of, of fortitude with a, with a real kind of human angle that's just so admirable. In Memphis, he referred to himself as an underachiever, said his career should have been better than it has been. This is the 2009 U.S. Open champion we're talking about, and he has felt that his career should have been maybe double-digit victories on the PGA Tour. Which is fair, given how he hits the ball tee to green, and that's been consistent throughout most of Lucas Glover's mm. career. But since the yips, he can actually tell you when the yips began. He said it was the fifth hole at Colonial mm. in 2013 when he first felt that flinch. In the 10 years since then, he has only once ranked better than 113th on tour and putting. And where he is now, He's, he's still ranked fairly low on the whole of the season. I think he's ranked about 160th right now, but we heard talk, Todd talk about how he was fifth at the Rocket Mortgage. Well, he's in top 15 in putting in the last two weeks as well. So when you hit the ball as well as he does, tee to green, you only have to be okay as a putter yeah. to actually be in contention every week. So it's not unsurprising that he would call himself an underachiever given the skill set he has. Back on the putting green at Olympia Fields, clearly not resting on his laurels. When Golf Today continues, we're diving into a past champ chat. This week, the U.S. Amateur heads to historic Cherry Hills Country Club. And our own John Cook knows a thing or two about taking home this trophy. The 1978 U.S. Amateur champ joins us next. Flashback to 1978 when a 20-year-old named John Cook defeated Scott Hoke 5-4 and four in the 36-hole final to win the U.S. Amateur. was up five at lunch, eight up at one point. Look at those long locks. The young man, Ohio State, dominant player, always stylish. And the guy owned the 1970s. What can you say? The Beach Boys were big and... So was John Cook, won that U.S. Amateur, the Northeast, Ohio, Porter Cup, the 75 California State Amateur, of course, a member of a national championship winning team. And Cookie joins us now from Cherry Hills. He might be wearing the same shirt, very, very similar style. It's great <laughs> to see a Cookie. I want to go back to 78. You beat Scott Hoke, and you said afterwards, I've never played this well. It scared me. Mm. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it was uh, really interesting. Uh, Bob, Bobby Clampett was clear the, the clear number one, but uh, he got beaten in the uh, semis by uh, Scott Hoke. And, you know, I, I was prepared to play. I spent uh, two weeks at home there at Muirfield Village just working on my game and practicing and getting ready, talking with Ken Venturi a lot just about, you know, where I was and, you know, how I could get a little bit better. And that week I just showed up and I was ready. I mean, it was almost like Tiger Woods, you know, 2000, where he, he, before he got to the golf course in the championship, he was ready to play. He didn't have to do anything but show up. And that's kind of how I felt all week was I just showed up and played golf and uh, just I really was firing at every flag on all cylinders. 
and I made a bunch of putts. It's one of the more under unheralded achievements in golf, John, that you own, because not only did you win in 78, you went back at 79, made it all the way through the stroke play qualifying <laughs> again, all the way through match play to the final again, where you faced Mark O'Meara at Canterbury Golf Club. Where does that rank on your list of career achievements to have gone through that process twice against the best amateur players in the world? You know, I, uh, Eamon, I was pretty proud of that fact just because, you know, that spring and that summer, I really played well. I was a way better player in 1979 during that summer than I was in 78, although I was, you know, had won some tournaments in 78. 79, I was, man, I won everything I played in just about. And going into the USAM, I thought, you know, I just just show up and play golf again. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what I did. I just kind of ran out of gas, I think. Uh, Mark played beautifully. I had, um, you know, I had uh, some really, really difficult matches. But, uh, um, like you said, I, I was really, really proud of that fact that I was, you know, had a chance to go back-to-back. -back. First time since the early 50s, I believe. Lawson Little, I believe, was the, you know, previous, uh, you know, 25 years before that. So, uh, to have a chance to defend in that final against Mark, I was pretty proud of that fact, although I didn't have my best stuff, and Mark just absolutely boat raced me right to the finish line. Well, Cookie, you know these matches can turn on a dime. Back in 78, you beat Mike Peck in the semis. He was a Stanford All-American. You went 20 holes. You dripped in this beautiful 20-footer for birdie. What do you remember about the semis just to get you into the finals? Yeah, it was a really hard-fought match. I know uh, Mike was really playing well that summer. Uh, All-American at Stanford, very, very good player. Uh, and I loved playing field. I just felt, you know, I just showed up there at the golf course, and I just loved that Donald Ross layout there at playing field. And I really felt like, you know, I was comfortable all week, and that second hole is no joke. It's a really rough hole. Um, and I hit two really good shots and, and had a chance to put it away right there. So um, I don't remember a whole lot. That's... 40, what, 45 years ago? I can barely remember my plane flight yesterday in here, but uh, it, um, it, uh, it was a really, really incredible moment to know at that point, no matter what happened, I was going to go play at Augusta. I was going to go play the Masters, um, but I wanted that Havemeyer Trophy. Don't, don't get me wrong. That was, that was the ultimate goal. I felt I was so prepared, and it was my, my time to win. Speaking of being prepared, John, you're out of Cherry Hills right now for the amateur. When you look around at these kids out there, were you as prepared to win coming out of the amateur then as they are now, or does it just seem like a different landscape entirely? Well, that's a great question, Eamon. Uh, I, I do a lot of the NCAA uh, golf, uh, and I see these young kids playing and how good they are and how, you know, the potential that they have. Uh, there's so many of them right now that uh, they're, they're incredible talents, incredible athletes. I felt I was pretty ready, to be honest. I, I played that, um, you know, as the amateur champion, it got me in a bunch of uh, professional events. I made the cut in all of them, you know, at Bay Hill. I made the cut at the Masters, the U.S. Open. Um, and I, I played really well. So I, I knew where my game was going into, uh, you know, 1979 and, and that, uh, you know, my defense of the U.S. amateur. I knew I needed to get a lot better in, in different areas. But I competed against those guys, and I made some cuts, and I beat some players. So I, I knew that I needed to improve. Um, so it gave me the confidence, and then it also gave me a preview of what I was up against. These kids nowadays, they come out, you know, they play in front of cameras. They do a lot of interviews. Uh, they're happy to talk to you. And uh, they don't 
feel afraid at all. They, they feel like they're pretty prepared. And, you know, quite honestly, are there any that can go right out right now and step up on the PG Tour and play? Now, maybe a couple, but I think that they still need to be a little bit more prepared, a little bit more seasoned. Um, you know, you see what they have in their game and where they need to improve. But, uh, you know, they're great young men, and uh, they, some of them will have tremendous careers. They are prepared, uh, hugely talented, but they don't have the perspective that you have on being a professional. <laughs> what one piece of advice would you give some of these players, whether it's inside the ropes or travel or dealing with agents or anything? Oh, that's a great question again, um, Damon. It's uh, I had Ken Venturi to lean on, so I, I, I was prepared to be not only a professional golfer but a golf professional. He, he prepared me for what is going to happen you know, off the golf course, be prepared for what, what you're about to face. These kids have a lot of game. They have to learn how to be golf professionals. They need to learn about everything else that goes along with being a professional golfer. And that's just not being great at your game. It's about welcoming people in. It's about, you know, doing the obligations and being comfortable in those situations. Um, if I would give them any piece of advice, I would go seek out a veteran, go seek out somebody that's played the tour, playing the tour currently um, and just pick their brain a little bit. There's nobody else that can prepare these young players for what they're about to face than somebody that's actually done it and been in there. Yes, they all have their swing coaches. They have their short game coaches. They have their putting coaches. I get that. But they need to find somebody that absolutely understands what is going to be going on with them to be a golf professional. So I would seek out the advice of some you know, players that, are currently playing or have played the PGA Tour. John, the year you won the amateur in 78, the U.S. Open was held right where you are now, Cherry Hills, Andy North won. I know you're out there walking around the golf course. What kind of a test <laughs> do you think is going to be presented to these kids this week? It's right in front of you, uh, Eamon. It, uh, there's really no, there's nothing sneaky about it. it. You have to put the golf ball in the fairway or you will pay uh, sufferably. Um, you say it all the time. You, you have to put the golf ball in the fairway. Obviously, you need to make putts. But to get to the metal play, you better keep it out of the rough or you're not going to go much further than today. Um, also, it's, it's the altitude. You have to be able to adjust to uh, the altitude. It's over a mile high here. The ball does fly forever. You have to put spin on the ball. And as far as these players hit it right now, they're going to have a lot of wedges and short irons in their hands. And those, for me, th those were always the toughest uh, clubs to adjust to uh, as far as the spin and how far they can go. So uh, just getting, um, you know, putting the golf ball in the fairway and controlling your distance out here is the utmost premium of playing Cherry Hills from what I've seen so far. Well, a lot of these kids will be wise to pick your brain on what it's going to be like at the next <laughs> level. Cookie, thanks for the time. Have a great week outside of Denver. Always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Really appreciate you having me on. Well, the oldest golf course in the world is about to host a totally new event. Four U.S. colleges will send teams to compete on the old course in St. Andrews later this year. We're going to hear from our man in the old grave tune about that. And he'll also tell you how to score your own tea time on the old course. We'll be right back. Well, it was recently announced that for the first time, four men's and women's college teams will be teeing up the old course this fall for the inaugural St. Andrews Lynx Collegiate. You'll be able to watch it here on Golf Channel and streaming on Peacock October 23rd through 25th. And here are some upcoming notable events. On the old course at St. Andrews, the 49th Walker Cup 
will be held there in just a few weeks, September 2nd and 3rd. The St. Andrews Links Collegiate, as we mentioned, and the AIG Women's Open, where Lilia Vu will defend in August of 2024. We're pleased to be joined now by Laurie Watson, who's the Director of Engagement at the Lynx Trust in St. Andrews. Laurie, we know professional golf and elite amateur golf has a pretty glorious history on the old course and in the broader town of St. Andrews, but what was the appeal of having a U.S. collegiate event played on the Jubilee in the old course? Well, I think, as you say, I mean, you know, we've got a, a great roster of events that take place in St. Andrews. You know, right now, we've got our August tournament, so we've got junior boys and girls competing across the Eden course just now to qualify for the chance to play a final in the, the old course, which is an amazing opportunity. And I think we're really proud of always having different access and different levels of golf coming to play golf in St. Andrews. Uh, and I think the collegiate event was just about adding to that roster and, and you know, in, engaging with a different audience and, and welcoming the next generation of stars to St. Andrews. Yeah, Laura, we know these kids have a lot of game, but what do you hope they experience uh, at St. Andrews? Well, I think if you look at some of the events that they're already playing in the great golf courses they go to, you know, whether it's Paso Tiempo, Eastlake, you know, there's a, there's a huge plethora of great golf courses, but maybe not a huge amount of Lynx golf. Uh, and I think, you know, the opportunity comes to St. Andrews in October to experience not only the old course, but the Jubilee, which in of itself is a, a fantastic championship course. Uh, if the weather is what we can expect in Scotland at any time of the year, regardless of whether it's July or October, I think it's going to be a great test and we'll get to see these these, these talented golfers playing shots that maybe they've never really had to, to face or practice before. How important is it, Laurie, to have the Jubilee host the first two rounds with the final round on the old course? Because it is one of those courses, kind of like the new course in St. Andrews, that it could hold its own pretty much with any course in Scotland. It just doesn't get the attention it deserves because of what's sitting next door. Yeah, exactly right, Eamon. I mean, I think we are obviously aware and a lot of golf fans are aware of what the Lynx Trust has to offer and the, the, the different kind of golf courses we have. You know, we're massively passionate about the whole offering of golf. And I think that's another one of the appeals for us is to, to sort of showcase the Jubilee. You know, to the best of my knowledge, the Jubilee's probably never been televised, certainly not in a live environment. And I think to get the opportunity to showcase the Jubilee to a golf audience is, a, is, is fantastic. And I hope many more people will see it and go, next time we're in St. Andrews or they're planning a trip to St. Andrews, they want to play that golf course too. Laurie, in certain parts of the world at different golf clubs, they're closed, they're, they're private. Why is the aspect of being open and tangible to the public and young people, for example, so important at St. Andrews? Yes, yeah, it's a really good question, Damon. I mean, I think it's just part of our history with golf in Scotland. And, you know, it starts and ends in St. Andrews and then kind of broadens out. You know, we are just very much a symbol of public golf. Um, you know, whether it's the Sundays when the old course is closed and people can come and walk the golf courses, or it's a beginner or a golfer of any ability who wants to just have a St. Andrews experience. Uh, I think it's really an important part of our DNA that people can come along and uh, pick up a club for the first time. They can play nine holes in the Balgove. They can go to our golf academy and progress through their career with us, uh, you know, and have lots of different experiences. And I think that's just something that's intrinsically part of St Andrews and golf in Scotland, if, if I'm being honest. You have the Walker Cup on the old course later this year, Laurie. There is some history here. I mean, Great Britain and Ireland had lost the first nine Walker Cups until they finally broke through in 1938 on the old course, proceeded to lose the next 12 broke through again in 1971, also on the old course. I mean, you've got a little bit of home pride here. Are you hoping that the same kind of turnaround will happen, having lost the last three on the old course later this year? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, I've, I've been fortunate to see a couple of Walker Cups, and I think it's an amazing spectacle. And I think it'll be brilliant at the old course for a, 
for a new generation, you know, as we say, it hasn't been on the old course since 1975. Uh, I think the opportunity to to walk on the golf course and follow these guys is a, is a unique experience in and of itself. Um, yeah, obviously home pride. I would love to see GB and I do well. It's a bit of a mixed record, as you say, over the years at the old course. You know, there there have been high points, but there's been a few low points. So again, I hope I hope we just get a really really good contest, and it, it all comes down to the back nine on Sunday, as as you always hope on the old course. Laurie, for some of these American college kids, uh, this will be their first experience ever competing on a Lynx golf course. You've played a lot of Lynx golf in your life. What advice would you give them as they set out to play? Oh, gosh, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, I would certainly say, irrespective of the weather, park some, uh, pack some sun, suntan lotion. Yeah, whether it's windburn or sunburn, um, you know, you're going to get a bit of that. I think from a golf perspective, I think it's about being able to have a bit of variety in your, your shot shape, you know, being able to hit the ball low. Uh, and certainly around the greens, you know, not necessarily always reaching for a, a 60 degree wedge and playing a lob shot, you know, being comfortable with bumping runs and using the slopes, uh, you know, is, is going to be a huge advantage to anyone. I noticed you didn't tell them just hold your approach shot on the 18th hole in front of Ernie Els, as I once saw you do out there, Laurie. But <laughs> one of the questions you get, I know everywhere you go, is how do I actually play the old course? People want to know how they get a tee time on the home of golf. What are the means to actually get there? There's a few different different ways, uh, as you say. So, I mean, I think there, we work with a, a huge number of what we call authorised providers, which are tour operators who uh, operate in different territories across the world. Um, they have uh, guaranteed access to um, old course tee times, and you can book direct with them. The second means, which is just coming up uh, probably in the next few weeks, is what we call our uh, private advanced tee times or guaranteed old course tee times. And that's a lottery process. So if you log on to website, standandrews.com, register there, you'll hear when that process opens. It is, it's going to be coming pretty soon. But you pop your details in, your preferred dates if possible, and then it's just, as it says, it's a ballot. Your name might get drawn out and you might get your preferred date uh, and you'll get an old course tee time. And then finally, we operate a, a 48 hours and ahead ballot, which is really aimed at people who are in St. Andrews maybe don't have an old course tea time yet, but want to, to take that chance. So we've got ballot times that operate every day of the week, uh, bar Sunday when we're closed. You just submit your details online two days before, and you'll find out by two hours later at four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and if successful, you, you show up, pay the starter, and uh, away you go and have an old course experience. So a lot of different points of entry, uh, and it covers a lot of different bases. Um, it, it is exceptionally busy, um, but there are ways and means and opportunities to come and play golf with us. As the three of us well know, there's nothing better than playing the old course, especially chasing the sunset. Laurie, looking forward to this very special college event. Thank you for the time today. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it, gents. Golf Today rolls on. We're taking a look at the FedEx Cup bubble as the playoffs head to Chicago for the BMW. Patrick Rogers made it to this round on the all-important number of 50 in the stands. He'll join us in just a little bit. Todd Lewis joins us once again. All right, Damon, we don't have snow, but we do have some weather here uh, just outside of Chicago. It's known as the Windy City, and the wind's picking up here 20 to 25 miles per hour. Players are preparing in earnest for the second FedEx Cup playoff event. That, of course, is the BMW Championship. And for 20 players in the field here, this is play well or go home because they're trying to advance to East Lake. You cannot win the FedEx Cup Championship 
unless you're in the Tour Championship. And there are some prominent names currently outside the top 30. Justin Rose, he's a former FedEx Cup champion. Matt Fitzpatrick, a U.S. Open champion. Cameron Young trying to solidify a spot in the United States Ryder Cup team. I talked to some of those players today, and I asked them, what is your strategy this week to maybe play a little more aggressively or just have better execution? It's definitely better execution for me, Todd. Uh, you know, when you hit it short and straight, you better hit the fairways and wedge and putt well. So that's the plan this week. You know, just try and go and play as good as I can, you know. Um, last week I felt like a similar deal. I was 46 starting the week and um, just try to not pay a lot of attention to it. Just go out and make as many birdies as I can and see where it falls. And uh, luckily it's good enough to be here this week. I feel like I always play best when I when I have a little pressure. So um, obviously I've been, been close. One of three or four years to get into the tour championship. So that's that's kind of one of my goals that I haven't notched off yet. So um, obviously love this style of course. You know, reminds me of home in Washington. Same kind of grass. So yeah, I mean, um, hoping to get to FedEx Cup. You know, it's one thing I haven't done yet. How important, from a goal perspective, is it for you to make it to East Lake? Very. That's been my number one goal for the year. Um, before I started this year, you know, I never made it to the Toy Championship, and um, you know, this year, hopefully, you know, I'll make it this year. But um, it looks like I'm in a decent spot. You know, 37, 38 is not bad. Uh, it's better than I guess 50. So, you know, I got this week to make it up. But um, you know, it's a, it's like it's a season-long race. It's, it doesn't come down to this event, but you know, it happens to be this one because it's the last one before the next one. But um, hopefully, I can play my best golf uh, this week. Since this is your last shot to get there. Mentally, mechanically, strategically, how do you approach this week? Same as every other week, I think. Nothing changes. Work on the same stuff, same swing, and trying to be aggressive in some shots, you know, trying to be, you know, hitting. This is a tough golf course, you know. The score's been very high. Played here um, three years ago, and then it wasn't very easy. So, um, you know, fairways and greens, and, you know, I like tough golf courses. I think it, if you play good golf, I think it really separates you from the, the bad golf. So, hopefully, I can, you know, show up my skills and uh, shoot low. Now, the good news for those players, positions 31 through 50 in the FedEx Cup standings currently is the fact that they made it into the top 50. They are in the signature events for next year, so there is a bit of freedom there. But obviously, as you heard, every player wants to make it to Eastlake and be a part of the Tour Championship because it really punctuates what was a really remarkable season. Now, this is going to be a very challenging golf course. Damon and Eamon, you were talking about how difficult Olympia Fields is. Well, over the last 24 hours, 1.65 inches of rain has fallen here at Olympia Fields, which means, yes, the greens are going to be softer heading into competition on Thursday because there is a chance for showers on Thursday as well. But it's going to make this golf course even longer, and it is a beast. Players are pulling out all kinds of lumber here, hitting into these greens from what I have seen so far this morning. So it will be quite a challenge as these players try to advance to Atlanta. Olympia Fields, the site of this week's BMW Championship, has hosted big events before, including the 2003 U.S. Open when Jim Furyk won his lone major title with a three-shot victory over Stephen Leaney. In 2017, it was the women's turn for a major at Olympia Fields as Danielle Kang grabbed her first career major and first LPGA Tour victory by a single shot over Brooke Henderson. And those were just two in a long history of notable events at Olympia Fields. Damon Johnny Farrell, the 1928. U.S. Open champion and a couple of PGAs as well, won by Walter Hagen and Jerry Barber on that list includes a Senior Open and the BMW Championship, formerly the Western Open, 
seven times. And we're pleased to be joined now by Mike Bruni, who is the tournament chairman for the BMW Championship this week at Olympia Fields. Mike, thanks for joining us. Compare, if you would, for us, the preparations this year versus the last time the PGA Tour was at Olympia Fields back in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. Well, hello, gentlemen. It's good to be with you. The preparations for 2023 have been significantly different. Of course, we had to pivot pretty uh, drastically in 2020 because of the pandemic. However, one of the real benefits was we were able to use our traditional routing, unlike in 2017 and in 2003 for the U.S. Open. So as we planned for 2023, we really had to be creative with enough room for spectators and hospitality off the 18th hole, where we all saw that historic putt from John Rahm in his one uh, playoff uh, against Dustin Johnson at the time. So planning was very, very different for 2023, and we couldn't be more excited that uh, we have fans this time and a uh, significant uh, response from the Chicago community. It's pretty exciting. Speaking of fans, Mike, I've met Cubs fans throughout my life, Bears fans, Bulls fans, White Sox fans. Uh, who is the prototypical Chicago golf fan? Well, that's a really good question. I think it's a mix of all of those, uh, to be honest with you. We love our sports here in Chicago. We love when the best perform at the highest level, and whether it was uh, with the White Sox winning the World Series in 05, and of course, that memorable run uh, for the Cubs. I, I think Chicago appreciates great performances, and we're going to see a lot of them this weekend uh, here at Olympia Fields Country Club. It seems to take a great performance there, Mike, because the last time the world's best players gathered at Olympia Fields, only five of them broke par. Are you expecting a similar challenge this weekend? You know, that's a great question. In 2020, Mother, Ta Mother Nature took the month of August off, and the greens were as fast and as firm as they can be. We've gotten some pretty heavy rains here in uh, July and certainly uh, even as recent as last night. So I think the course is probably going to play a little longer, uh, but it's going to be probably a little less uh, firm and fast. So an incredible test, which has stood the test of time, dating back, as you said, to 1920 when we hosted our first championship here. But I would expect that the scores uh, would be a little lower just because of the wetness that's on the ground. Mike, uh, beyond being tournament chairman, you have a deep history with this golf course and club. Your mom's been a volunteer since the 1970s at events at Olympia Fields. How would you describe that family connection? Well, I think Olympia Fields uh, is all about family, not just ours, but so many others. We have multi-generational families that have volunteers, uh, just like my mom, who, as you said, since 1972 has volunteered at every tournament. She, ironically, is the infamous woman in that blue uh, coverall that is in the background of John Rahm's putt. And I said to her, your 15 minutes of fame is running in about four hours. So I put her way out on the sixth hole this year, well away from the cameras. Uh, but she's still, uh, she's still there at 88 years old, volunteering like so many others here. The membership uh, and all of Chicago has embraced this championship so enthusiastically, predominantly because of uh, our sole beneficiary, the Evans Scholars Foundation, uh, which sends deserving young men and women to, to college, room and board tuition, all of it. So we're really excited uh, about the family atmosphere that is here at the championship and how it is permeated throughout the Olympia Fields membership. Yeah, Mike, since 2007, more than $44 million raised for Evans Scholars. Why that push so important for this tournament? 
Well, BMW has been such a significant partner in our goal to send deserving young young men and women to college that otherwise wouldn't have that opportunity. And when we talk about whether you're a spectator, a hospitality buyer, or one of the 2,000 volunteers that are a part of the BMW, every single person is having a role, playing a role in changing the life of a young person. It, it is incredible to watch the best in the business, the 50 best players in the world, showcase their talents so the Western Golf Association can provide the Evans Scholars so that these young recipients can showcase their talents. It's a great partnership with BMW, Western Golf, the PGA Tour, and of course this year at Olympia Fields Country Club. We're really proud of it. It's a season of change on the PGA Tour, Mike. You guys have a big spotlight this week, but a smaller field. Was there any concern at all whenever it was announced that the BMW Championship was just going to be the top 50 players in the world versus the size of field you've had in years past? You know, as I mentioned earlier, Chicago loves its sports. And whether it's 70 players or 50 players, we knew that the Chicago community was going to embrace this championship. We haven't seen live golf since 2019 when it was at our partners up north at Medina. So I don't think the field size uh, has impacted the enthusiasm for the championship one bit. Uh, everything is pretty much sold out. The response has been significant. We were a little concerned at first, uh, but the, the response has been really unbelievable. Well, Mike, I'm hoping Mama Joanne finds a camera over on six as well this year. Thanks for the time and have a great week. You guys, thanks so much for the opportunity. We are really looking forward to a great week. Finishing in the top 50 at the FedEx Cup playoffs earns a lot of perks. So by that measure, Patrick Rogers has already had a great season. He'd like to extend it by another week, though. We're going to hear from the last man in at the BMW Championship next. Patrick Rogers, five top 10 finishes, nine top 25s, lost that playoff at the Barracuda Championship. I think it's been the best season of his career. And great to have Patrick with us from Olympia, Fields, you're a Stanford guy, so I assume you're good at math, Patrick. Uh, how closely were you watching the numbers on Sunday to see if you were in or you were out? Yeah, it was definitely one of the most stressful Sundays after I played that maybe I've ever had. I, my brain was hurting from crunching the numbers, and uh, it's it's a tough one when it's out of your control. I was uh, definitely watching some guys play play their rounds that I wasn't used to following, that's for sure. On that theme of math, Patrick, have you done any of the permutations to figure out what you need this week to move from where you are into that top 30 for Eastlake? Yeah, there's a, there was a really famous Stanford golfer named Tiger Woods, and he's, he used to say winning takes care of everything. So that's, that's what we're here to do. Patrick, by some metrics, you've had your best season. Five top tens, a couple close calls. I spoke to you. A couple of times in San Antonio, you know, very close runner finisher to Akshay. How would you describe this season in terms of where it rates with your other seasons to date? Yeah, it, it's been a great season so far. There's definitely a lot of positives to draw back on. I feel like I had a, a really uh, kind of transformative meeting before the season with my coach, Jeff Smith, and we really just wanted to prioritize winning and having chances to win. And I feel like I've done that this season more than, than other seasons in my career. And but I definitely still feel like I have a lot to improve on, but uh, it's a great opportunity to be here this week and, and have a chance to keep chasing that FedEx Cup. 
You've been inside that top 50 cutoff for almost the entire season, Patrick. And on the rare occasion during the summer when you dropped out, you had that playoff loss at the Barracuda, which put you right back in there. How much has it been on your mind during the course of the year what the various playoff cutoffs were? Yeah, absolutely. It's been huge, huge on my mind. Um, I think it's important for every player. I think with as much change as is happening on the PGA Tour, it seemed like that top 50 number uh, became one of the most important ones. Obviously, we're we're always shooting for for the top 30 and what that means playing at the Tour Championship. But to me, this season, the top 50 almost felt like the requirement to keep your card as as a tour player i want to play the the best events against the best players and and this was the avenue to to be in those events and so it's it's definitely been a, a stress filled last month or so uh on the golf course and it's it's nice to have that behind me and just be able to kind of move forward speaking of stress can be stressful filling out ticket requests you're from indiana neighboring state to Illinois, who you got in the gallery this week? Kindergarten teacher, old pals. Who's going to be supporting you this week at the BMW? <laughs> this is going to be great. Going to have a lot of family and friends come out, get to connect with with some of the guys I went to high school with, some people that I grew up playing golf with. Obviously, a, a lot of family. I'm really excited that my my 80 year old grandpa gets to watch me play. So yeah, a lot a lot to be really excited about. This is about as close to home as I get playing the PGA Tour and. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a special week, uh, this week being so close to home. Patrick, it's one of the quirks of this Byzantine system that the Tour has for qualifying and membership that you're in the playoffs. The guy who beat you in the playoff, the Barracuda, is not actually in the playoffs. Is that a situation where you'd like to see a little bit more clarity from the Tour going forward in terms of what a victory on the PGA Tour ought to qualify someone for? Yeah, I think obviously it's a season-long competition, but I was as surprised as anyone that Akshay didn't get the points for his win. Obviously, I, I would have vouched for him. He played some incredible golf, and he's played some consistently solid golf over the course of the season. Um, but there, there, there's a lot of change that's happening on the tour. Sometimes it's, it seems even difficult for the players to, to uh, keep up with, but it's, it's just part of the kind of the landscape of golf at the minute, and, and uh, I look forward to having kind of some more clarity for the players and the fans kind of as we go into this, this new frontier of what our season looks like. Well, you do have some clarity as number 50 being outside Chicago. That means you're into the signature events next season. That's a certainty. That's a guarantee. How comforting is that you're able to kind of set your schedule and peak and practice when you need and want to? Yeah, it's, it's massive. It's, as a player, it's the ultimate luxury. Um, the, to have the luxury of time, whether it's this fall, to be able to pick and choose my schedule and kind of know exactly what it's going to look at for the entirety of a season. I'm looking forward for that, bringing out my best golf, but also giving my, myself some really good balance and, and time at home with my family. I think it's, it's going to be one of the years I've looked forward to the most in my career for sure. Patrick, we just heard Ben Ann tell Todd Lewis that he's going to approach this week as he would any other week on tour. When you're number 50 on the slot here and you need to make that top 30, is it liberating in a way? Does it change how aggressive you're going to approach this week? I think the strategy for the lowest score is still going to be the same, and I think it's an incredibly demanding golf course. So I think, I think being overly aggressive could get punished pretty quickly. But um, in terms of the freedom that it's going to allow me to play with, I think that's going to be something maybe I've never even experienced. I mean, I, th I think I have maybe one or two avenues to get to the Tour Championship, and, and knowing uh, you know, how important that could be for my career, um, 
to, to be able to just go for it with nothing to lose is a great place to be. As we're about to tie a bow on this season, you mentioned a transformative meeting at the outset of the season with your team. What did you discuss and what did you decide upon that has made the difference for you this year? I think it's been a, a whole kind of new mindset or a new perspective on playing the tour. Um, I've been a really consistent golfer throughout the course of my career. I've made a lot of cuts. I've, I've, I've had a lot of solid weeks, you know, been better than the strokes gained average pretty well every year for my career. Um, but winning is so important on this tour. I've obviously always prioritized it as an athlete, but to kind of have that, um, that governor taken off a little bit mentally and, and, and just, um, you know, just go for it. It's, uh, it's something that, that I know will kind of get me over the hump and into this next stage of my career, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to chasing trophies as I continue. Well, time to channel that inner Reggie Miller hit one from 35 feet. Patrick, have a great week outside Chicago. We'll speak to you soon. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. All right, Patrick Rogers, folks, still to come on Golf Today. It's another national championship this week on the USGA's calendar as the U.S. Amateur heads to Cherry Hills. Our very own caddy correspondent, John Wood, will be part of the call. He joins us next. John Wood is part of the call this week for us at Cherry Hills, and John joins us now. John, you were there as a caddy for Hunter Mahan back in the 2014 BMW Championship. What kind of tests should we expect to be presented this week? Yeah, I was, and I've been out here the last couple of days. The course is in unbelievable condition. Um, the rough is incredibly thick. You cannot play this week in the match play out of the rough. Occasionally, yeah, you can do it. But if you're consistently in the rough, you just don't have a chance. It is like old school, very thick, very long U.S. Open rough. The other thing is very firm greens. The weather's been spectacular. So that combination of thick rough, firm greens, it is not a long course, especially at the altitude the players are playing at. There's going to be a lot of wedges, probably 13 to 15 wedges per day. But it's going to be very difficult to get those close because of the altitude, because of the firm greens. Um, that's going to, to me, is going to be the key to the week. As somebody who really has a handle of how far they're hitting their wedges, how much is it spinning, and they're controlling their distance as well, is going to go a long way in the match play. So uh, the players who are really on their wedge game and are hitting fairways, huge advantage this week. Woody, you've been on the call for a lot of professional events. You've also been on the call for a handful of amateur college events. How do the conversations differ between pros and their caddies and, say, kids, amateurs, and their caddies? Do you notice a difference at all? It's a great question. Obviously, most of the caddies aren't as experienced as the caddies on tour. Same thing for the players. So, uh, there, yeah, there are some different conversations, but most of these guys are bringing out college friends or brothers, guys who know them well and know their game. And so they are able to kind of talk to each other in, in uh, voices that they're used to talking. Uh, it's not a question of learning something completely new out of the blue. These are guys they've played golf with all the time. Maybe not as sophisticated of questions and, uh, you know, nuanced of answers, but they give the information they need. So uh, maybe not quite as detailed, but certainly the information they need. John, I know you're out there scouting for the next bag, just in case this TV thing loses its appeal to you at some point. Who's caught your eye out there so far this week? You know, uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, Summer Hayes. Uh, he, he's just such a good player. I've watched him a lot at the LACC 
at the U.S. Open. Uh, he's got his dad on the bag again, obviously, Tony Finau's instructor, his instructor as well. Um, he just looks so poised to me. He always has. Uh, he's a kid who, I say kid, but he always wears pants. And that may seem weird because you can wear shorts, but he, I asked him once, how come he's always wearing pants? He says, because I'm dressing for the job that I want. And that means he wants to be on tour. His sights are so far ahead. Uh, I just think he's got the complete game um, and, and a great head on his shoulders. And with his dad on the bag, who's been through everything, um, I, I look for him to go a long way this week. I see Cherry Hills, Woody. I think thin air, mountain air, ball flying, going different yardages than at sea level. How big of a challenge will it be for the players to find that comfortable number in the caddies as well to do the job they want to do? Yeah, huge challenge. And I, most of them, I would think, got, would have gotten here on Saturday. Um, they have to play the qualifying rounds Monday and Tuesday before the match play, and that includes two courses. So you've got to play one course Saturday, one course Sunday. So I think within the two rounds, along with all the track man information a lot of these guys have, um, <laughs> you're going to be able to get a handle on that pretty quickly. Um, the interesting thing comes as the day moves along. When you start in the morning, and it might be a little cooler, the ball doesn't, maybe you're playing at about a 5%. Once it warms up, you're going into 10, 12%. And so you kind of got to adjust as on the fly as the day gets, gets warmer, the air gets hotter, and the ball just starts going forever. And all these kids hit it so far anyway. So uh, just another thing to deal with, but it doesn't phase them at all. I'm sure they'll adjust very well to it. I want to take you into the paid ranks for a moment here, John. You've spent a lot of time around the Ryder Cup, Ryder Cup team rooms. Zach Johnson has a wealth of options in front of him right now, but a lot of options means a lot of tough calls have to be made as well. What does your instinct tell you with, you know, a, a JT, uh, Lucas Glover? Do both of them make it? Does only one of them make it? What's your gut instinct? That's a great question. And my gut instinct says Lucas Glover makes it. Uh, I just think... That's the point of having the late picks is that you get a hot hand. And I don't know how you could be hotter than winning two events in a row. And I know he hasn't played in majors this year, but uh, I think this newfound putter that he has now is completely rejuvenated his game, made him the Lucas Glover of old, and I really think he's a pick. Personally, I, I do take JT, and, and here's why. Um, I think match play is so much about heart. And nobody has a bigger heart than JT. Not only that, but I think a lot of whether JT goes or not will have to do with Jordan Spieth. I think if Jordan Spieth goes to Zach and the assistants and says, I trust JT, I want him as my partner. By the time that rolls around, he will be JT that we need. And if Jordan says that, he's the guy I want to be out there in, my, in the bunker with. I think it's you, you pick him immediately just on Jordan's recommendation. So, um, you know, there's 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 so many available picks out there. There's really no wrong picks. Um, I think a lot of it is going to have to do with chemistry and, and who fits. And in my mind, JT fits. Well, Denver looks fantastic. The Ryder Cup is just around the corner. U.S. Amateur this week. Enjoy it, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Welcome back to Golf Today. We shift our attention to the difficult images that continue to surface from the island of Maui as residents deal with the fallout from wildfires that swept across the island. Very frightening time for many who have lost property and loved ones, and our thoughts are with those affected. 
Colin Morikawa has deep ties to this part of the world, and he tweeted this, 15 birdies and one eagle means $17,000 going to the Maui United Way to help with recovery efforts. Next week at BMW, the birdie donations will go to World Central Kitchen, who have had boots on the ground helping feed people in the immediate aftermath. And some more initiatives with the PGA Tour to support wildfire relief. Century pledging $250,000 to the Maui United Way and Hawaii Community Foundation. The tour working with Hawaii-based events across all tours. Colin Morikawa donating $1,000 per birdie during the playoffs to Maui United Way and World Central Kitchen. And Xander Shoffley matching up to $400,000 in donations via his foundation. John Rahm spoke on the tragedy earlier today. Obviously, the priority right now wouldn't be Kapalua, right? Uh, I'm, you know, deeply sorry for everybody that lost somebody over there. I know Colin shared a bit of his story, and I'm hoping his grandpa can open his restaurant as soon as he can again. But um, I'm hoping they can rebuild Lahaina as quickly as possible. It's it's really really sad that it happened over there, especially for a culture that cares about their native land as much as the Hawaiians do. Right? You don't want to see that happen. So if we do go on play. I'm hoping through the tournament we can help the community as much as we can. And Colin Morikawa joins us now from Olympia Fields. Colin, what should we know about your family's ties to this region? Yeah, you know, uh, my grandparents were born there. Uh, that's where they all grew up in Lahaina, actually. That's where, you know, we just heard about John talking about my grandparents' restaurant. It's there no more. Uh, they sold it a long time ago before I was born. But growing up there for my grandparents, my dad used to go there as a ch uh, child, hang out throughout the summers, all throughout the summers. Um, that's, that's our family. You know, that's where our family goes back to. That's, that's home. It's a home away from home, like I said in my post. Uh, a week ago, you know, uh, the, to go back and something to be that, you know, heartbreaking and that devastating and that having that connection, you know, I've never really had that in my life. And to uh, it sucks to go through this, um, but I hope we just kind of come back through all this and uh, just get our community together, get this golf world together and help out as much as we can, because it's one of the most beautiful places on this entire planet. Your fundraising effort, Colin, has had a lot of support from a lot of different quarters. Chef Jose Andres is have a tremendous record with humanitarian disasters around the world has joined forces with you as well. What can you tell us about where you're going to direct the, the monies that you're raising for this cause? Yeah, so I got to meet Jose Andres uh, actually this year at the Masters and uh, what an amazing human being and what an amazing guy and family as well. Um, but, you know, last week was about Maui United Way. Uh, that was, you know, a fundraising effort for the last week. This week, we're going to focus on World Central Kitchen, which is uh, Jose Andres' charity and uh, nonprofit. So we're going to be focusing on those two charities uh, throughout all of playoffs. I'm not sure how I'm going to distribute everything, but I'm definitely going to be pushing for World Central Kitchen a little bit more this week. And then really just at the end of the day is just to put out the awareness. Um, I've had a lot of sponsors reach out. I've had a lot of friends reach out. Obviously, Xander, I believe, is also donating to his cause. And, um, you know, look, it, it's where we start at the beginning of the year. It's something so special to all of us. It's somewhere we all want to be at the beginning of the year. And to go back and to think about what it's going to be like, um, you know, I, I might be shedding some tears by the time we show up. You know, it's only a few months away. It's something so special to us. Um, it, it really is about just bringing back the roots of what Hawaiian culture is. And uh, I know everyone that has ever visited Lahaina um, has loved it every single time they've been out there. Colin, how is it different trying to make birdies for others as opposed to making birdies for yourself? Yeah, you know, it, 
I thought about that on the first tee last week, and I'll keep thinking about that, you know, as, as the rounds go on and the playoffs go through. Um, there's just more meaning to it, and sometimes, you know, it just pushes yourself to grind a little bit more, pushes yourself to really just, you know, just be out there and uh, to know that this is my life, this is what I do, but there's so much else going around the world that people are going through that this is just so much more meaningful and impactful. So any way I can help, any way, obviously the birdies, I want to make as many birdies. Olympia Fields, Olympia Fields this week is going to be very tough, um, but I'm going to do as much as I can really throughout these playoffs to bring the awareness, bring the amount of donations up as much as we can to just help people that are in need out there. Because if you look at the photos, you look at the videos, um, it really was pretty much flattened all the way down to the earth. Colin, you mentioned Xander Schauffele is also getting involved. He's donating up to $400,000 from his foundation. The tour is working with Sentry as well. Are you impressed at how it seems to be that the community around the PGA Tour really does seem to be taking some action on this? Absolutely, and I push all of, all of my other fellow golfers to help out, you know, whether it's a few birdies here and there, a few thousand, whatever it is, anything helps, you know. I mean, the amount of clothes we have, the food they need, the utilities they might need, um, there's a list, and it goes on and on. I mean, they lost everything, you know, but I think what's cool about the golf community is that we do care about the communities we come into, right? We do have programs. You have first tee programs. We have clinics. We have charities that the PGA Tour and the players give out to every week and weekend, you know, throughout the entire schedule we go. And uh, this is an important week for us. You know, the, the, what Maui represents to us is a accumulation of every of all the hard work you've done in the previous year. And that's where you want to show up, show up at the beginning of the year. So it means a lot. I think it means a lot to people that have been there, people that have never been there. I think they're going to realize how special it is. So um, there's a lot to it, what the Century Tournament represents and what us golfers do for the community. So I'm challenging everyone as well at the same time. Colin, the New York Times did a wonderful podcast on the devastation. They talked about the meaning of family in Lahaina Town. The people love to, to talk story and, and, to, and to spend time together. Talk about the deep family ties of the people in that region and that part of, of Maui that have been there in many cases for, for generation upon generation. Yeah, I mean, you look back, I mean, my great-grandparents were there, right? And not just on my side, but a lot of family. Like, there's a lot of rich history. And I think the few words that people know in Hawaiian is ohana, right? That's family. Like, we don't, there's a lot of words out there that we don't know, but ohana is one that I think can resonate with a lot of people. And um, it means so much more than just family. It's that history. It's the culture. It's the ties. It's the way of life. It's the way people go through their day, daily life, you know, that Hawaiian vibe. Um, when you step foot, you know, off the airplane, when you go to Hawaii, there's something about it that just gets you in a relaxing mode. And that's that culture out there. So to see what they've had to go through and the struggle that they've gone through over the past, you know, week or so, um, it's just heartbreaking, you know, just like I said. But the amount of history, the amount of family that is that is back there, you know, I wish them all the best. My prayers are with them. And I just hope that we're able to get through this stronger and uh, hopefully, you know, just rebuild, rebuild that culture right back. Rebuild the culture and rebuild the town of Lahaina as well. Colin, are you afraid of what you're going to see when you actually get there? Because the, the images can only communicate so much, but you're so intimately familiar with the town. When you go back there in January, is part of you a little fearful of what you're going to see? I am. 
You know, every year we always walked by the store that ended up being where my where the Morikawa restaurant used to be. I never saw it, but my dad would walk by every single year. We'd stand in front of it, even though we knew where it was. We'd take photos every single year. And um, yeah, I am very scared, you know, but I think with being scared also, you need to step up. You need to be courageous. You need to be brave. And uh, we have that ability to reach out to, to millions and millions of people, you know, our network of the PGA Tour, us being prof professional athletes, and uh, make it better. You know, find charities, find ways to help out these people because, um, look, they're doing all they can, and uh, it's always nice to have a helping hand, right? So it's going to be uh, – golf will be very weird uh, that week when we head out there for Century. I guarantee, I guarantee that. You know, it's only a handful of months away. Um, even with that time, you know, stuff can't be rebuilt like that that quickly. And uh, to know that Lahaina is where everyone would have dinner, everyone would hang out after the, you know, after the rounds, people would go there, tourists would go there, the banyan tree was there, you can sit under the tree. Um, it's it's going to be very eerie going back to a place like that where I know I have so many connections and people have a love for just the nature and people around there. Colin, thanks for all your efforts. They'll truly be impactful for the people of Lahaina Town. Thanks for your time today. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. How about the that, young man? The of this game can be used, the reach of this game. And, you know, when you have people of that kind of character in this game, it's not a bad place to be. Looking outside of himself, such a wonderful quality. Enjoy your Tuesday, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow.